friends, y'all come on down. Hope Ranch is the most fun in town. Kick your boots and jump real high. Grab your hat, reach for the sky. Jesus love is number one. Now it's time to have some fun. We are gonna have a ball. Jesus loves y'all. All right, we had a great time this week. One more time, Jesus! Jesus! And there are so many kids that it's just going to take a little while for everybody to get off the stage, and that's totally fine. So one more time, let's give it up for these kids, huh? Very cool. You guys see yourself on the screen? Pretty crazy, huh? It's wild. Uh, it was so much fun this week at Hope Ranch. It was so refreshing and so uh, neat to have everybody jam-packed into the link. We had over 200 kids at Hope Ranch this week, which is just crazy for our campus. Uh, down in our West Des Moines campus, I think they had like 2,000 kids. At Ankeny, they had another 1,000. At Grimes, they had hundreds of kids. I mean, it's just amazing to see what God does through Vacation Bible School across all of Lutheran Church of Hope's campuses. So before we get started, I also need to make sure that I say a big, huge thank you to a lot of people who made it possible. First off, our incredible volunteers. We had dozens and dozens of volunteers. If you volunteered at Hope Ranch this week, would you please stand up? I know you're not going to want to because you're humble, but would you please stand on up? The first one's just got to do it, and everybody else will follow suit. Awesome. It absolutely would not have been possible without all of your help, so thank you. Uh, also, a huge thank you to our staff who put in a lot of extra hours. Um, you guys are my heroes, and I really, really appreciate you. Um, from Cassie doing the admin to Pete and Carrie leading all this fun, ridiculous stuff, Haley doing videos, Holden being there for production all week long. It just was really, really fun and an incredible thing to be a part of. So one more time, let's praise God for what he did. It's awesome. When the week started, I was actually planning on preaching on a different story, this series called Let Me Tell You a Story, where we're Preachers are, are choosing our own story for the week, but then a theme kind of kept on occurring throughout the week on two specific occasions, and I want to tell you two quick stories that I saw at Vacation Bible School this week. First off, I had a parent tell me that uh, their daughter showed up and saw a friend from the year before, and the first thing that they did is they shouted at each other, do you remember me? Do you remember me? And then they embraced, they said, yeah, we do remember each other. And the mom said that it was this heartwarming feeling just to know my child was remembered. My child was seen and known. It feels really, really good to be remembered and known. Now, also throughout the week, I'm able to say hi to the kids as they're walking between stations. And I've got this little trick, right? Like, they all wear name tags. And so I read their name when I say hi to them, like, oh, hi, Georgie. Oh, hi, Patricia. Whatever their names might be. I don't know. But anyway, so I'm saying hi to all of them. And some of them are like, how do you know my name? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, and, and eventually I tell them, I, I, I see it, but, but I'll try to remember it. Now, later on in the week, I had dozens of kids coming up to me saying, what's my name? Do you remember my name? <laughs> oh, and you just feel so bad when you don't remember somebody's name. One of the coolest parts about Vacation Bible School is kids that really felt known, they felt remembered, they felt seen, they felt appreciated. And I hope that's a model for the rest of our church to follow, that this would be a community where people do feel remembered, they do feel seen, they do feel appreciated, that this is a place where people could connect. I want to tell you this, over this next year, we are going all in with connection and belonging. This is a church where we want you to belong. This is a church where we want you to connect. This is where, a church where we want you to know and be known. We're following the examples of the kids. 
So at the beginning of the week, I was planning on preaching something else, but as I had this idea of remembering just popping up over and over again, I couldn't help it. I wanted to pour into this theme of remembering. It hurts to be forgotten, right? You ever forget somebody's name? Isn't that the worst when you're talking to someone and you know that you should know their name? Maybe it's even when you just met someone. You say, hi, my name is Danny. And they say, hi, my name is, and for like three seconds, your brain shuts off. So you can't even think for a moment. And they respond, hey, it's great to see you. They tell you a little bit of their life story. And you might remember all sorts of things about them, but then they're talking to you and you're like, I can't remember your name. I remember your grandparents. I remember where you grow up. I know your dog's name, but I can't remember your name. And why does it make us feel so uncomfortable? I think it makes us feel uncomfortable because we know what it's like to be forgotten. We know what it's like for people not to remember us, and that's not a good feeling. The University of Aberdeen in Scotland, they had a study that talked about the human experience of being forgotten. And there were some simple conclusions. First off, it's a common experience. So if you feel like you've been forgotten before, don't worry, you're not alone. And that's kind of nice. The second is, we make excuses for other people's forgetfulness. I think that that's really interesting. When somebody forgets us, we try to come up with a reason for why they forgot us. And when we, when we are forgotten, we equate being forgotten with being rejected. Interesting, right? Think about the times in your life when you have felt forgotten. And what was that like? Do you know what it's like to be forgotten? I remember my freshman year at Warburg College, and we're doing like that freshman orientation. And on the first day, they take us out to this ropes course. And the entire Warburg College freshman class is at this ropes course. I had this friend named Nick Dash, and we were so devoted and committed to finishing this ropes course. By the time that we got back to main camp, we realized the school forgot us. They actually forgot us at the camp. I'm like, great, I'm supposed to be making friends. I'm all alone. My mom and dad don't have me at their home anymore. Now everybody's forgotten me. Like, you know, I feel forgotten, and it feels bad. I remember just feeling horrified, especially when the buses came back with hundreds of freshman students, and here they are. Oh, why do we have to come back? Oh, because that kid couldn't get back to the bus in time. It felt terrible to be forgotten, but of course, we start to come up with these ideas and reasons for why somebody forgot us. We try to give them grace, and I think that that's actually a really good thing to do. But the real reason why I think we do that is not necessarily because of grace, but because it softens the blow, doesn't it? Well, they forgot me because, and if you have a reason for it, maybe it wouldn't hurt so bad. But the truth is, being forgotten hurts. Today, I want to hop into a story in the book of Genesis, toward the very beginning of the Bible. And it's a story that's about faithfulness, it's about dreams, that's about commitment, that's about endurance. And yet, framing the story is this idea of remembering and forgetting. It's one of the most famous stories ever told. Whether you grew up in the church or not, there's a good chance that you've heard about Noah and the ark. Now, I've been working with kids all week, and we've been telling stories in kid style all week, so I couldn't help it. I grabbed my beginner's Bible this morning, and uh, because I also think that it's helpful just to review the story, I, I'd like to go over it with you. Is that okay? Can we do that? Is that fun, or is that weird? Well, you don't have a choice. All right. <laughs> After Adam and Eve left the garden, many people were born. The people kept doing bad things, and they forgot about God. My wife is a first grade teacher, so I'm following her example. <laughs> now, here's what it says in your big kid Bibles, in the book of Genesis chapter 6. It says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth. He saw everything that they thought or imagined, and it was consistently and totally evil. And you think, what does this have to do with forgetting? What does this have to do with remembering? What does this have to do with feeling rejected and ostracized and left out? Well, the biblical understanding of sin, the biblical understanding of disobeying God, actually might surprise you. 
In the book of Psalms, it describes sin like this. It says they soon forgot God's many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against him. One of the ways to define sin, according to the Bible, is you forgot God. I forgot God, and so I rebelled against God. God knows what it's like to be forgotten. And so the story continues, except for Noah. Noah loved God. Ah, there's a protagonist in this, a protagonist in this story. Thank goodness, because the scene isn't very pretty, is it? Take a look at this on the next slide again in your big kid Bibles. It says, the Lord was sorry he had ever made them, the earth, and it broke his heart. I think that it is so important to pick up that line in this story. It broke God's heart that the world had forgotten him. Do we understand this? Do you know how much God loves you? God loves you so much that God would become vulnerable enough to allow you to hurt his feelings. God, the omnipresent, omniscient, incredible, almighty God, gives us the power and ability to hurt him. It's not that we're hurting his existence. It's not that we're dampening his being. It's that we're hurting his heart. It says God observed all this corruption in the world, and uh, God, God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. There's another word for corrupt in the Hebrew, and what it literally translates into is destruction. Corruption is destruction. And so as God is looking at the earth that has been corrupted, it is self-destructed. It's this incredible imagery for the original readers of this passage. When they're thinking about God who's about to send a flood, right? And it's like a powerful scene. It's no joke whatsoever. It's a powerful image. But they don't see God the way that sometimes we see God when we read the story. When we see God and we read the story, we see an angry God who's just throwing his rage toward the world with a flood. But when the original readers would have read this, they would have seen a parent holding their child, heartbroken over what's come of their life, self-destructed. I think about the times in my life when my parents have been most hurt. They're most hurt when I'm hurt. Understand this. God is most hurt when we're hurting. God's not mad at you. Sometimes God is heartbroken over us, but he's not mad at you. God's not raging at you. When God sent a flood to the earth, he did not do it with revenge in his eyes. He did it with tears in his eyes. I think it's so important to know that. This is how vulnerable and close God gets with you. You have the ability to hurt God's feelings. Now, that's not something that you should walk around and say, oh, boy, God's fragile. No, I think that instead that's something that we should hear and say, God loves me. The creator of the universe would become that vulnerable and that close with me. Again, the story continued. It said, except for Noah, Noah loved God. God was sad that everyone but Noah forgot about him. Remember, forgot. He told Noah about this plan to start over. Make yourself an ark, God said. Here's how. So Noah and his family began working on the ark. When it was done, God said, take your family and two of every animal into the ark. Animals creeped, crawled, hopped, and galloped onto Noah's new boat. After everyone was inside, the rain began to fall and fall and fall. The ark, rocked, the ark rocked this way and that way on the raising water. Finally, the rain stopped. Water covered everything. Everyone, was in, everyone inside the ark was safe. Noah and his family were happy. One day, Noah sent a dove to find land. It flew and flew, but never found any dry ground, so it came back. One week later, Noah sent the dove out again. This time, it brought him back an olive leaf. Noah cheered. It must have found land. The ark finally came to rest on top of the mountain. 
God told Noah to leave the ark. Noah and his family praised God. God put a beautiful rainbow in the sky. It was a sign of his promise to never flood the whole earth again. Isn't that a beautiful story? Yes, it's a beautiful story. Also a terrifying story, isn't it? Like, ah, oh, yes, Noah and the ark, Sunday school story. God sent a flood to the earth. And again, yes, God sent a flood to the earth with tears in his eyes, but it's brutal. It's hard to reconcile that as we read the scriptures. But I think that it's interesting. We look at the corruption and destruction of the world, and we're like, God, why don't you do something about this? And then when God does something about it, we're like, God, why did you do that? God's heartbroken. But there was Noah. In the Big Kid Bible, it says, Noah found favor with the Lord. Now, that can be a little bit intimidating because maybe you read that passage, that verse, and you say, well, Noah found favor. I have to find favor. I have to be righteous. It says right after that, Noah was a righteous man and he walked in close fellowship with God. Have you ever reversed the order of those verses if you've ever read this passage? Sometimes we read that and we think, Noah was righteous, so he had favor. Now, this says, Noah found favor and he was righteous. It's like the difference between earning $20 and finding $20. If I earn $20, I might be a little bit more protective over it. If I find $20, if I'm even half decent, I might try to find someone to share it with. There's a difference between earning God's grace and finding God's grace. We can't earn God's grace, but we find God's grace because he's planted it all over the world in his love. We cannot help but stumble upon it. Noah found favor with God. Keep this in mind. We do not get favor with God because we're righteous. God's favor and God's love produces righteousness in our life. Maybe you're hearing the story and you think, okay, I better get right with God and then he'll like me. No, it's the opposite. Verse 8 comes before verse 9. Noah found favor and that is what made him righteous. That's what made him righteous. Noah was inspired and moved and this is what drove him to follow this big, huge, wild dream that God called upon his life. Noah, the one on the earth who followed God, who listened to God, who remembered God. God gave him this big dream. And sometimes I'm like, God, I wish your dreams to me were this clear. It's really simple. Ready? God said, build a large boat. Sometimes I'm like, God, if you were that clear with me, my life would be simple. But it wasn't so simple for Noah. You might think that Noah, the rest of his life, it was nice and easy. He had these simple commands. All he had to do was build the boat, stack all the animals in there, see a rainbow. He comes out and everybody's happy. But the truth is, is that Noah also knew what it was like to be forgotten. Keep in mind, God knows what it's like to be forgotten. We talked about that. God knows what it's like to be hurt. God knows what it's like for us to forget him. And it breaks his heart. He doesn't send the flood to the earth with revenge in his heart, but instead with tears in his eyes. And so how surprising is it, can it really be that we know what it's like to be forgotten, why we hurt when we're forgotten? The reason why I think that we hurt when we're forgotten is because we were made by a God who also doesn't like to be forgotten, who wants to be remembered. We inherited that from God. Noah is about to find out what it's like to be forgotten. You might be surprised how Noah's neighbors responded to when he was building a boat. Oftentimes, we, uh, we read the passage, maybe when we reflect on it, we think that there's something in the passage that tells us that all of Noah's neighbors were making fun of him and saying, oh, Noah, I don't know, I don't see any rain. The Bible actually says nothing about that. It says nothing about his neighbors saying anything to him. Instead, in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, Jesus talks about Noah, and he shares what were his neighbors doing when Noah was building the boat. Before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen. 
Noah was not being mocked. Noah's life didn't get hard. He didn't experience hardship and suffering because people were humiliating him. It's just that they had forgotten him. They were paying him no attention anymore. I mean, seriously, what's worse? When we talk about kids sometimes, people will say that, well, a kid, any attention is better than no attention at all, even if it's getting in trouble. For Noah, I mean, he would have taken any attention at all, wouldn't he? There's a movie about Mozart, about Amadeus Mozart, that came out, I don't even know, a long time ago. And toward the end of the movie, his arch rival, another composer who had been so famous and so revered in the community for his musical accolades, by the end of his life, he is entirely miserable. And it's not because people are making fun of his music. It's not because people hate his music. It's not because people think it's bad. It's simply because people aren't listening anymore. They've been forgotten. And when we're forgotten, we feel like we're rejected. We feel like we're left out. And when we're forgotten and left out, I think that's when we're most vulnerable to give up on the dreams that God's given us. To forget what God's called us to do. I wonder how easy it would have been for Noah to just forget. Do you know what it's like to give up on a dream? For a quick second, will you just think with me? What's your biggest passion? What's your dream? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? What's the thing that wakes you up in the morning? What's the thing that really gives you life? I'm not talking about the thing that's going to make you a lot of money. I'm not talking about the thing that's going to give you a lot of fame. I'm not talking about the thing that's going to give you all the friends and attention that you ever wanted. I'm talking about what's the thing that gives you life? What's the thing that fills your heart with love so much that it pours out of you? What's the dream that God's put on your life? Maybe it's several, but what is it? I invite you at some time this week, write that dream down. Write it down. Put it somewhere so you don't forget it. So that every day you would see it and remember it. Because when other people are forgetting us in our dreams, it's so easy for us to forget it. Certainly, this is useless. No one's ever going to pay attention to it. It's not making any difference at all. And so what are the things that keep us away from our dreams? What are the things that make us forget our dreams? Well, it's just when people forget us, isn't it? And so we fall into these traps. Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is maybe a starting place for what happens when we forget our dreams and how it happens. First off, we get distracted. Lots of different voices out there, so we hear a few, start to dabble in some other things, and then we have doubts. And maybe it's not so much that there's a doubt that this is the dream that I've been given, but maybe you start to doubt that I'm the one who could possibly do it. I wonder if that was ever the case for Noah. I wonder if that was ever the case for all these Bible characters that we see that God's called to something big, to a huge dream. And I wonder how many different times God's people in those days and in these days have thought, I'm just not the person for this because nobody's paying attention to me. They've all forgotten me. Nobody remembers me. Nobody knows my name. What difference could I possibly make in this world? We don't just doubt the dream. We doubt ourselves in it. And then finally it turns into a detour or a delay. At first, it was just a quick sidestep, but then eventually the dream is so far gone, we've forgotten what it even feels like. Man, it's hard to forget a dream. It's hard to live there. Are any of you living in that space right now where like, you, you forgot what dreams are? You forgot what it's like to mean to really, really dream in the way that God created you to dream? To dream bigger than yourself, to dream bigger than what you thought you were capable of? not because of your own strengths, but because of what God can do through you. 
I'm telling you, I just think about all the stories that I've heard in this congregation alone. It blows me away. And I think about the endurance that people in this very room that you are sitting in with right now. I'm telling you, not all of them became rich. Actually, the ones that I'm thinking of right now, they didn't become rich. But they are making a difference. They are changing this community. They are changing the world. Maybe they're changing the life of one person around them. Or maybe it's just their heart that's been changed. But my goodness, if you could hear the stories of every person in this room. What's the dream that God's called you to? Now, Noah, he found himself in a very difficult situation, right? You know, I mean, he made the boat, but then he starts to drift. I mean, quite literally, he's drifting, right? The text says that for 40 days and 40 nights, it was raining. For 150 days, water covered the surface of the earth. And I know that this is the part where sometimes people are like, oh, that's where the Bible loses me. The whole earth flooded. Now, keep in mind, within the context of the Old Testament, time and again, what we find out is when they're talking about the earth, they're oftentimes talking about the known world. But in Noah's known world, he couldn't see anything anymore. Quite literally, all he could see was water. Have you been out in the middle of nowhere in the water before? It is a terrifying experience. Is there anything more scary than that? When I was in college, my track team went on a, on a, on a, on a team trip, I guess, uh, down to Barbados. And, and one of the activities that we got to participate in is we went on a deep sea boat ride. And when we got pretty far out, the captain of the ship said something along the lines of, I think it was like 1,000 feet, 2,000 deep. I don't know what it was. Very, very, very deep. And he asked us, who wants to jump out? And being college students, we had no fear whatsoever. We just jumped. But then there came a moment when I realized, if I get too far away from this boat, I'm going to die. I could not survive this. I'm thinking back to my freshman year, me and Nick Dash, we're just going to be forgotten again. As far as I could see, there was no land. And as deep as I could look down in the water, of course, I, I, I couldn't see the level, the, I couldn't see the ground of the sea, the seabed. It's terrifying. And you start to drift, and you start to wonder, is anyone going to remember me? In all of Noah's known world, I wonder if he wondered, is anyone going to remember me? All the people forgot me. Would God forget me? I mean, you think about that. It would only be natural, right? I forget people. People forget me. I forget God. Does God forget me? I don't know if you saw this this last week or the last couple of weeks. We're starting to understand a little bit more about how huge our universe is. Did you see this picture? This is from the James Webb Telescope. Of course you saw this picture. It's the only thing that was posted on Facebook in the last five days. This is a picture that's taken of uh, a small, small little piece of the universe. It's reaching hundreds of millions of light years away. What I read is that this image right here, and it looks huge. I mean, it is stretching across millions of light years, right? And yet this image right here is the same size as a grain of sand would be if I held it as far away as this from my head. That's just how big that piece of the universe is for us. We start to think, Oh my goodness, this place is enormous. How could I ever be remembered? When I think about this stuff, I just get anxiety. I'm like, I'm tiny. I'm this puny little piece of dust. I mean, seriously, what am I, a speck of dust on the dust? But then there are four of the most powerful words in the entire Old Testament that show up right when Noah's probably starting to wonder, have I drifted too far away from God's memory? And I think we could take hope in this too. But God remembered Noah. 
God remembered Noah. As he's looking over the entire universe that he's created that just now, thousands of years later, we're starting to understand is pretty big. And on that little speck of dust called Earth, there's a speck of dust called Noah. And it's like God is reaching through the entirety of the universe, through all of the galaxies, all of the solar system, and he just is cradling the ark that Noah and his family are on. God remembered Noah. You might read that and think, well, that's really beautiful for Noah. But don't you know this? It's true for you. God created Noah. And the same God who created Noah and created all of these magnificent, spectacular Bible characters that seem like they're just light years away in the past. That same God created you. The same God who created Noah, who created Abraham, who created Esther, who created Ruth, who created these monuments of our faith. Well, he had a dream to make you too. And he didn't forget you. You know this. Think about the things that you've really taken time on to create. And think about the things in your life when you made it and you thought that was good. You don't forget it, do you? Some of my very first memories are sitting in Mr. Whitehead's art class at Westridge Elementary creating something that I thought was beautiful. I can't forget it because I'm just making something. And there's something that happens inside of your heart. There's a joy. There's a pleasure that comes about you that you cannot control yourself from experiencing when you create something that you like. God can't forget you. You're made by him. And so this experience that you get when you create is just a fraction. It's just an inheritance of what God experienced when he created you. Think about it. I mean, the best artists in the world, the best ones, I mean the ones that are really making a difference, that are blowing us away. Do you notice something? They're not doing it for money. They're not doing it for fame. I'm talking about the art that really blows you away. They're doing it for the joy of creating something beautiful. God created you for the joy of creating something beautiful. He loves you. He remembers you. And so as God remembered Noah, don't you ever forget this. Jesus remembers you. Now that is not just because I'm telling you that. God had joy to make you. It brought him joy to create something as beautiful as you. And God refused to let go of that dream. God refused to forget the dream that was you. Once upon a time, you were just a dream. But God makes dreams come true. And he refuses to let go. He refuses to budge. He refuses to move. It's not just me saying this. This is in Hebrews chapter 12. Take a look at God's word. It says, because of the joy awaiting Jesus. Now remember, what's his joy? The joy that Jesus has is creating you. The joy that Jesus has is seeing you. The joy that Jesus has is seeing the finished work. It's you. He refuses to let go of you. And so he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. He stood there and he wouldn't move. Quite literally, stood there and wouldn't move. The Greek word for endured is hypomeno. Everyone say hypomeno. If you've been around Hope Ames for several years, I used this in a sermon a few years ago, and I just think it's one of the most beautiful words in the entire Bible. Hypomeno it literally means to hyperstand. It was a military term. What it meant is it would be a soldier who could not budge. 
A general would say to their soldier, you must hypomeno if you budge even an inch. All hope will be lost for our people. The scriptures are telling us that to hold on to the dream, and the dream is you, Jesus wouldn't budge an inch. So when this God gives you a dream, when this God, whose dream is you, and he refuses to forget that dream, we can remember the dream that he gives us. When we're distracted, we can listen to love. There are so many voices out there that might tell us that our dreams are worthless. And if we came up with them on our own, maybe they would be. But because we got them from our Heavenly Father, something's going to come out of them. You listen to the voice of love. You listen to the voice that spoke you into existence. You listen to the voice of love that takes so much pleasure in you simply breathing. You just being here. You listen to that voice. And when we dare to doubt, I mean, doubting is so natural. I say this a lot, but I think that it's so important to say, doubting does not mean that your faith is broken. It does not mean that there's something spiritually malfunctioned with you. In fact, faith, doesn't, faith insinuates you can't see what you're believing in. It insinuates that there might be some doubt in your life. I've told you this before and I'll tell you again. I struggle with doubt. It's so real. But just because I doubt God does not mean that he doubts me. Just because I doubt God does not mean that his truths aren't still real. My doubts don't influence my God. So when I doubt, right, I can still trust. But when I doubt myself, because sometimes that's the easiest thing to doubt when it comes to chasing our dreams, I might actually dare to be different. See, I might doubt God, but God does not doubt who he created me to be. I cannot tell you how many times in this world and in my life I've been told over and over and over, you got to stand out. Come on, you got to build up your resume. You better be special. Come on, sparkle. Make yourself known. Be different than everybody else. But when they're saying be different than everybody else, they mean shine. When God says shine, when God says be different, he's saying something else. And it's something so much more fulfilling. We're living in a world where like, oh, what am I going to do to make myself stand out? Let me tell you this. Anybody can stand out in superficial ways. Absolutely anybody. Anybody could come up with the latest idea. Anybody could come up with a shocking statement. Anybody could start a fight and probably win it. Anybody can chase all those kinds of superficial dreams. The most unique and spectacular and different thing about you is that you are you. God created you and he didn't make another one. So when we start to doubt, I don't know, who am I to be the one who sees this dream come to life? God says you are. Out of anything God could have created, out of all the spectacles of dust, right? God made you. God made you. Dare to be different, but the most different thing about you is that you are you. And when we're tempted to detour or delay, we might have the courage to hyperstand. 
We hyperstand with our Savior. And it doesn't mean that we're taking on the same hits of the waves that Jesus takes. It doesn't mean we're taking on the same oceans that Jesus takes on. It means that our Savior hyperstands before us, and all we do is we stand behind him. That's what it means to hyperstand as a follower of Jesus. The one who refuses to forget us. The one who stood firm, who held on to the dream, and the dream was us. But you see, he remembers you. He remembers you. He will always remember you. This isn't, this isn't my word. This is God's word. When you think about like the most difficult moments in your life, the most difficult moments in our life reveal to us the most important pieces of our life. The most important pieces of our lives are revealed in the most difficult moments because we remember the most important things and the most difficult things. If we come to the end of our life, maybe we'd be thinking about what? Family, loved ones, what we'd want to say to them. When we think about what's the last thing I'd ever want to say, who's the last person I'd ever want to see, it's, it's the people who are important to you. When Jesus was in one of the most difficult moments of his life, and I'd probably say the second most difficult moment of his life. Do you know what he thought about? Did you know that you're in the Bible? Really? You are. God, the author of salvation, remembered to write you into scripture. Have you read John chapter 18? Jesus is in the garden and he's about to be betrayed, arrested, put on trial, and put to death. And he's praying to his father. So as this moment is so dire and difficult for him, he actually began to sweat blood, which is a medical condition. He actually sweated blood in such a difficult situation. But what was most important to him? Who did he remember? He prays to his father and he prays for his disciples, but then he prays for you. John chapter 18, verse 20, it says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them glory, the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to, to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. See, when Jesus has a dream, the dreams come true. Because he hyperstands for the dreams. The real beauty. The real art. You are his beauty. You are his art. And in his most difficult moments, he thought of us. He knows how much the Father loves him. And he says to the Father, now love them. Let them know that you love them in the way that you love me, your only son. Remember them. I'm not forgetting them. And this brings me such relief and peace and contentment, and it dares me to joy in my most difficult circumstances. 
dares me to get close with this heart of God. It's so tender, so compassionate. That would break over me. Jesus remembers. So that's the second most difficult moment of his life. But how about the most difficult moment? It's the end of his life. Who would Jesus remember then? In the book of Luke, there is a passage that entirely like rebuilds, regenerates, recreates, rebirths my heart all over again when I read it. At the end of Jesus' life, who is he most physically close with? Who would you want to be most physically close with? Family? Friends? Loved ones? Who would you expect Jesus to be closest with in the worst moment of his life, on his deathbed, essentially? Who does he get close with? For him, it wasn't family. For him, his friends had rejected him and ran away. For him, it wasn't kings, it wasn't royalty that might match his stature. Instead, the scriptures tell us that it was two criminals on either side of Jesus. Some translations refer to them as thieves. We don't, we don't know what they did. We don't know what they were like, but what we do know is that in the scriptures, and according to the people who are around them, their entire lives were characterized by corruption. Self-destruction. All their life had led to this moment on a cross next to the Son of God. One of the thieves, he turns to Jesus and he mocks him. He says, why don't you do something about this? You're God, aren't you? And the other thief just says what we all want to say. I mean, what do we really want? All we really want is to be loved and to be accepted and to be received, to not be forgotten, to not be rejected. This thief looks at Jesus and he says what we all want to say. Remember me. Please. Remember me. I, because I'm forgetting. I'm having a hard time forgetting and remembering. I, I, I can't remember why I'm here. I'm forgetting my purpose. I'm forgetting anything that was ever dreamed for me. I'm forgotten. These people are saying away with you. Jesus, will you remember me, please? Jesus turns to him. And he says, I assure you, today, you will be with me. He can't forget you can't stop standing for you. You can't give up on the dream. You can't stop loving you. You think you're small? You think you're insignificant? All right, sure. Relative, physically, compared to the rest of the universe, we're, we're pretty small. See that little dot? That's planet Earth. That's a picture of planet Earth from within our solar system. And it shows us just how small we are. I mean, we're not even a speck of dust physically. 
And yet the God of the universe, the God of it all, has reached through the millions of stars and the galaxies and our solar system because he loves the dust. And he loves the dust on the dust. Because he loves you. You're his dream. He can't forget you. I'm going to wrap it up here. And oftentimes after a sermon, we sing a song that's kind of like quieter and more reflective. But I just got to follow the example of the kids today. I got to shout and I got to rejoice because the creator of the universe refuses to forget me. And if the creator of the universe refuses to forget me, I couldn't. What does it matter if someone else rejects me? The creator of the universe accepts me. I'm his dream. He can't stop standing for me. He can't stop loving me. He can't stop dreaming for me. So today I'm going to hyperstand behind my Savior. I'm going to shout. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be a part of the redemption of this world. Even the redemption of crazy vacation Bible school songs like shout, 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 shout. If you were in college around the time I was in college, you recognize that tune. <laughs> but God can redeem anything. So would you follow the example of the kids? Would you join me? Would you stand if you're able? And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe this is a victory cry, or maybe this is just a cry. Could you shout out to your Savior? I don't know what it is. For me, it's just going to be a, thank you, Jesus. Can you shout it with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What else do you want to say to your Savior today? You want to say, I praise you? Do you want to say, remember me? Do you want to say, you better keep loving me? Do you want to say, don't you ever forget me? Do you want to say, bring me into paradise? Do you want to say, save my loved one? Do you want to say, be there for my friend? Do you want to say, show me the way? What do you want to say to him? He hears everything. He can't forget you. On the count of three, whatever it is you want to shout out to God, even if it's just a scream, will you let it out? One, two, three. Remember me, Jesus! Ah! Keep on shouting, church. We got to sing, Jesus!